Amen. Chapel, I want to join Pastor Bobby in welcoming you today. And those of you that are watching online, welcome. We're so glad you could join us. If you're online right now, if you would do me a favor and uh, just drop a fire emoji in the comment section because we are going to be talking today about being passionately committed to Jesus Christ. So we've got 10 qualities over the next few weeks we're going to be going over that we feel here at Chapel to find the difference in a believer and an actual disciple of Jesus Christ. So uh, being passionately committed, God is calling you to come close and learn from him. And one of the primary indicators that you have become a disciple is when your passion shifts from worldly desires uh, to Jesus. So passion is displayed in many different ways. Uh, here in the South, we get excited about football. Uh, I, I, my, my NFL team played better yesterday than they have all season. I'm a Cowboys fan, um, and they did not play yesterday because they're terrible and they did not make the playoffs. Uh, but uh, those of you that are uh, Crimson Tide fans generally have something to cheer about. I'm sure there's some Crimson Tide fans here today. You've never been this quiet. Okay. Uh, any Auburn fans? Okay, all right, all right. Uh, But passion is displayed in many different ways. Uh, And uh, I think that you can be passionate um, about many different things. Uh, So I'm passionate about the church. I grew up a pastor's kid and we spent all of our spare time at church and I learned to love it. Uh, And now I I do the same. Uh, And I I love getting to work here at chapel. It's one of the, the greatest churches I've ever seen just because of how healthy it is internally. So churches are a lot like restaurants where uh, when you come and you sit in this room on Sunday morning, this is the dining area. Everything's put together. Everything's clean. Uh, You know, the waiters are polite. Back in the kitchen is where the real mess is. They're screaming and shouting and knives being thrown and people cutting their fingers off. Thankfully, this is not one of those places. And even in the kitchen, uh, it is is peaceful and healthy. And uh, it's just such an honor to get to be a part of this church. Um, But chapel is something I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about my family. I would do nearly anything to protect and provide for them. Uh, uh, when I get excited, I'm an eight. I know we've discussed this. I'm an eight on the Enneagram. I don't know what any of your numbers are, uh, but I'm, I, I get really excited. I yell when I get excited. If I'm watching football and my team wins or loses, I yell. Uh, when I get excited about something happening, I yell. I once got kicked out of a, um, like a, uh, a basketball game. It was like a pickup basketball game at a youth camp whenever I was new in ministry. Uh, and the referee who was a volunteer was like, man, you got to go just because I I was so passionate about what was happening. Not my best moment, but hey, uh, we get passionate about lots of things. And people display passion differently. Uh, Like I said, when I get passionate, I yell. I get real boisterous and loud, and you probably find it obnoxious if you're the opposite. Some of you, when you get passionate, you may just, you may study more. When you get passionate about your schoolwork, uh, you know, some of you, when you get passionate, you may sit quietly and think of a better option to solve a certain problem. Everyone displays passion differently, but ultimately, however you display passion, We are called as believers to be passionately committed to Jesus Christ. So I looked up the definition of passion. It was a strong and barely controllable emotion. Uh, It's barely controllable. I can't help but be excited. I can't help but give my time to this. Uh, And and so I started thinking about uh, being passionately committed and what it would look like if the church was passionately committed. And of course, I thought of fire. So I'm going to tell you a story. So uh, in one of my, my, one of my first years of full-time youth ministry, uh, my dad had a, a pretty sizable farm. He had a giant field. And I was like, dad, can I bring all the teenagers over and do a bonfire? And he was like, yeah, that's a great idea. So it's a Friday night in Tennessee. Uh, I have used his tractor all day, not to stack 
limbs but trees. I have a colossal pile of dead wood uh, that I have intended on setting a fire in which other celestial beings will see. So I have soaked this dry wood uh, in what would have been smart would have been diesel fuel because it burns slowly, but it's a lot less fun. So I went with the good option. I soaked this thing in gallons of gasoline uh, and I did what any responsible youth pastor would do. I made the kids stand back. You know, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't totally foolish here. I made the kids stand back and I was like, I can't get close to this thing. So I used a Roman candle to light it because I'm innovative like that. So I light this bonfire with a Roman candle and uh, there was so much gas on on it. It was as if a bomb had gone off. We felt the concussion of the wood start. And uh, after that, the story continues, I had to run and get my dad's tractor that had a bucket on it because this fire was so just passionate that it began to burn everything, the field, whatever, the kids. No, I'm kidding. So I had to go get the tractor and begin to scoop up the dirt around the fire to try to contain it. Luckily, no one got hurt and we were successful in that. But I began to think about what would it look like if the church was so passionate that it consumed everything that it touched. That just looking at it, looking at how excited the people of God were about the kingdom of God, lit a fire in others. What would it look like if we were wholeheartedly committed to the things of God? We are called to start a fire as believers. We're going to be in Luke chapter 14. Uh, If you brought your Bible today or if you're on the app, whatever, Luke chapter 14. We're going to get there in just a second. Uh, So Jesus is talking here. And he's talking to the disciples about what it means to truly be a disciple. We've done a good job in the South, in America, worldwide, Big C Church, of making good believers, of explaining to you who God is and what he does. We've done a bad job of making true disciples that are wholeheartedly committed to the kingdom of God. So in Luke chapter 14, Jesus is talking. We're going to pick up in verse 25. And uh, my uh, subhead here uh, that breaks up the passages for me, it says the cost of discipleship. And I love that so much. Um, So Luke 14, verse 25 says, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, this is Jesus talking, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down, count the cost, rather he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate, rather he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, one of you who does not... One of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. We are called to give up everything. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, God is not asking you to actually hate your parents or your spouse or your children. Uh, God is not asking you to hate yourself. God is saying the immense love that you have for those people should pale in comparison to the love that you have for God. Recognizing the sacrifice he made, recognizing how good and glorious he is, the love I have for my children and my wife, which is greater than anything else on this earth, 
is nothing compared to my love for Jesus. And that's the point of what the Lord is saying here is it's not that you're supposed to be less committed to your spouse to be a better Christian. That is not what God is saying. He's saying as committed as you are to your spouse, as committed as you are to your children, as committed as you are to your parents, as committed as you are to your football teams, as committed as you are to your jobs, you should be all the more committed to Jesus. That should look like nothing. The Lord has explained here that we are faced with a decision much like Adam and Eve were in the garden, where we can choose to serve an almighty God or we can choose to serve ourselves. We're gonna get into what it means and what the difference is in serving God and serving ourselves. And I, I wanna ask you to do something. I want you to, um, to let down your guard and I want you to genuinely ask yourself questions today. Am I wholeheartedly committed to God? Have I fully surrendered to him? Uh, So the problem we're facing is that the fire that is in many believers has been incredibly stifled uh, by a lack of consecration to the things of God. We've created, much like the Pharisees, we have created rules as to what it means to be a Christian. You got to go to church on Sundays. You got to attend a small group of some sort. You got to own a Bible. We don't really care if you read it. You've got to send your kid to youth group no matter what. We've, we've created these rules that if you're truly a committed follower of Jesus, you'll do all those and then some. You'll actually read your Bible. If you're truly a committed follower of Jesus, these baseline rules we've created, they're not rules. They're just expectations that we would expect of someone that is fully surrendered to Jesus. But the problem is, is the fire that once was in many of you, much of the church today has gone out. It's, it, it's stifled because of noise, because of distractions, because of, of secret sins, of whatever. There has not been complete consecration to Jesus, and that fire that was in you has been stifled. Uh, so when I was a little kid, we used to burn our trash. We had a half a mile driveway, and it was a lot easier to just burn the, burn the trash. I'm so sorry if you're an environmentalist. Uh, but we would get a fire going of wood, and once the fire was hot, we could throw our garbage on it. We could throw the bags full of whatever we didn't want on it. Um, but if the fire was not hot enough yet, the trash that we threw on it in the plastic trash bags and whatever it contained would actually begin to put the fire out because the materials in it were not able to be burnt. Uh, and a new believer is so on fire for Jesus. But the problem is, is our culture is throwing one piece of trash in at a time. Plastic, glass, just things that don't burn, things that don't grow you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Our culture is one by one polluting a pure fire that's in you when you get saved, one thing at a time, one lie at a time, just getting you to believe something that's not true to the point that the fire becomes just hot garbage where there's nothing really burning anymore. It's just hot garbage. And our church needs a fresh fire that will only come with a full surrender to Jesus Christ and inviting his Holy Spirit, not just into our church services, but also into every facet of our entire lives. Serving Jesus doesn't just mean a casual Sunday service. It means living a life of passion. So passion that is married to commitment is all-encompassing. It is in no way partial. And sometimes we submit to God things that are important, but they're not necessarily the priority. So we'll go to church on Sunday morning, which we live in a fairly small town uh, compared to other places, and, and there's not a lot happening in Florence on Sunday morning other than church. I would argue it's relatively easy to come to church or watch from home because there's not a lot else going on right now. 
So we can go to church on Sunday morning when nothing else is happening, but it's really hard for us to make it on a Friday night to a prayer meeting during 21 days of fasting and prayer, because that's Friday night. We'll bring our Bible to Sunday morning church, but then as soon as we close it, we leave it on the dash of the car to collect dust until next Sunday. We'll run out of time to read the Bible and pray and do our daily Devo program, but we still find time to to binge watch a whole Netflix series. We can't commit to a bi-monthly discipleship meeting, but for some reason there's plenty of time for me to do my fitness class that meets three times a week. We submit to God, we give him things that are important, just not a true priority, and we're not living our lives fully surrendered to Jesus when we do that. Uh, And and I don't want to paint a bad picture of salvation here. I, I believe that when you call on the name of the Lord that you're saved, but it's not enough to simply believe that Jesus is God. It's not enough to say, well, I'm loved by God. That's enough. The love of God does not send us to heaven. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ and our submission to that does. God loves everyone, absolutely, no debate. But it is not enough to simply believe. In James chapter 2, verse 19, it says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So how do we move from simply believing to being a true disciple that is consumed with passion for Jesus and the kingdom of God? How do we move from simply knowing that God, that Jesus is God, to knowing Jesus? How do we move? How do we make that jump? Here's some differences uh, in believers and a true disciple. One, believers believe in Jesus as their savior, but they still live to please themselves. Disciples believe in Jesus as Lord and they live to please God. Every single thing you do, you should weigh the cost of, is this honoring God? There's too many believers that we're sa- you're saved. I'm not, I don't want you to sit here and question your salvation unless you need to. Uh, but uh, you, you're saved. You know God, but you're still willing to watch things on TV. You shouldn't. You're still willing to look at things on Instagram. You probably shouldn't. You're still willing to listen to music that has no business in the ears of a believer. You're still willing to, to associate with certain crowds that you have no business associating with. We, we have to look through the lens of, is what I'm doing right now pleasing God? Is this making me closer to Jesus, or is this making me further away from him? Number two, believers exalt their opinions, feelings, and thoughts above the word of God. Disciples exalt the word of God above their opinions, feelings, and thoughts. Uh, I have to submit my perception of reality to this word. When it looks like God's not moving, I have to understand that he's still good. I have to understand he's still a healer. When it, when it feels like the bills aren't going to get paid, I have to understand he's a provider. Every time bad news comes, I have to look at this book as a lens I see that through, not the other way around. Not, well, well, well I didn't get to pay my electric bill this month, so is God really a provider? Well, you know, my loved one, I prayed hard. I believed in good faith that they would be healed from COVID and they weren't. Is God really a healer? I have to look at every bad circumstance through the lens of scripture and not the other way around. Number three, believers think of church as a place they go to hear what God's word says. Disciples think of a church as a place they learn to do what God's word says. Faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of the Lord. It is so important for you to sit in a corporate setting and hear the word of God proclaimed to you. It's developmental in your faith. But if you leave here today and do nothing different, this time was wasted. I want to challenge you. When you come to church, when you sit with other believers, 
When you go to Rosie's for, well, you can't today, it's Sunday, it's closed. When you go to Chili's, whatever, and go have lunch today with someone sitting next to you in the pew, whenever you guys talk, understand that that's communion. Remember me, remember Jesus in that moment and do something with it. Grow closer to God with everything that you do. Number four, believers are accountable only to themselves. Disciples are accountable to everyone. This one is something I struggle with. I don't wanna be accountable to everyone. I wanna be accountable to me. I'm my own man, I can do what I want. I'm responsible for me, you're responsible for you. Unfortunately, when we look in scripture at our obligations, it's not so. I am responsible for how you perceive the gospel in me. I am responsible if something I say offends you. I would love to say, you know, you chose to get offended, that's your bad, but ultimately I'm responsible for that. Paul said, make every effort, take every opportunity to live peaceably with all people. I don't do that well. But a disciple, I don't appreciate that giggle, uh, a disciple is someone that is accountable to everyone. I've got close friends that I live in a glass house. You wanna go through my phone? Go through my phone. You wanna challenge me on something I said that, that you feel wasn't you know, <laughs> ministerial? Challenge me, great, I love that. Uh, we ultimately have to have accountability in our lives. Number five, believers serve God if it's convenient. Disciples serve God based on conviction. Uh, there's a principle, I believe it's in Proverbs, of swearing to your own hurt. Meaning if I say I'm gonna do something, even if it hurts me, even if it's my loss, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna be committed to Jesus no matter what the cost is. Number six, believers try to impress God by being religious. Disciples seek to know God through relationship. Let's move on a little quickly. Uh, number seven, believers follow God as long as everything goes well. Disciples follow God regardless of the circumstances. This is their lens. Number eight, believers choose their own path and ask God to bless it. Disciples ask God to reveal the path and then they follow it. Now, number eight uh, is, is personal. Number eight is you don't get to decide what you do with your life. Uh, I think of the book of Jonah. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. In fact, he went to Tarshish. He tried. But the blessings of God are always found inside the will of God. You don't get to be outside of God's will and still have his blessings. It is so imperative that we follow what he wants for our lives, that we ask his, his word to be a lamp unto our feet, that we listen to that still small voice inside of us of him leading us, speaking to us, shaping us and molding us. Number nine, believers are full of pride if they're doing well and self-pity if they're not. Disciples are full of gratitude because God love, God's love never fails. Uh, it's 2020. I think at some point this year, everyone in this room got some sort of bad news. Uh, and, 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 you know, me and my wife, we were not exempt from that. We got bad news this year. And uh, you know what? I had an opportunity to say, woe is me. This is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And I also had an opportunity to say, God, thank you for choosing me. Thank you for allowing me to have this. Thank you for walking me through this and making me better. We have an opportunity when bad things happen to be grateful for who God is or upset because bad things are happening. Number nine, number 10, sorry. Number 10, believers follow the example of the world that seeks to go higher. Disciples follow the example of Jesus to humbly go lower. Uh, this, this is hard because you know we're Southern Americans uh, because 
I'm a, I'm a man. I, I'm proud of my sports team. I'm proud of my kids. Uh, I have no athletic ability, but I'm still going to talk smack on the tennis court, whatever. Uh, you know, I, we're prideful creatures. Uh, and, and frankly, this is hard, especially when it's something that you feel is important to you. Of I have to be humble even when they're wrong. I want to I move on because I, I don't want to uh, run out of time today, but those are the things that separate a believer from a disciple. So what does it look like to truly be a disciple? What does it look like to be passionately committed to the kingdom of God? How are we going to move from being a believer to a disciple? Here are five things you have to believe. Number one, Pleasing God takes precedence over pleasing people. Galatians 1.10 says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. We have to be focused more on living a holy life that honors God than living a fun life that fulfills me. Uh, it, life can be fun, but it's not always rewarding after the fact. The word says the wages of sin is death. So my chore growing up, I believe every teenager should have a good, good couple hour long chore a week. So my chore growing up in my house was every Saturday morning, I was not allowed to go anywhere on that Saturday until the garage was swept and mopped. Now my dad is a very just anal, meticulous man. He's incredibly organized. He is OCD to the max. Um, and so he would, uh, he would, I would back all the cars out of the garage, and we had like uh, like 10 shelves just packed with stuff. Had to pull all that out every Saturday. I mopped under it a week ago. There's nothing there. He didn't care. Had to pull everything out. I would have to sweep this four-car garage, and then I would have to mop this four-car garage. And it would take me three hours or so. The worst part is whenever he would come and inspect everything, and he was so meticulous, he would find like a, a leaf in the corner and make me do the whole thing over again. Uh, and, and he used to say, I want this floor so clean I could eat off of it. And I used to think, well, then stop parking your car in it. Uh, but it was of no avail. I still had to sweep and mop the garage. It was not fun, but the allowance was rewarding. Now, I had the option to not sweep or mop. I just didn't get to do anything else that weekend. I would have been stuck at home. You have the option to serve God and receive those blessings, or you have the option to do what's fun and fulfill yourself. We are, we are faced with that challenge. Ultimately, a, a disciple is focused solely on pleasing and honoring God. We do that by following the voice of the Holy Spirit and staying submitted to Scripture and to your pastor and I know this, when I have a really hard day, I, have, I, 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 want, I just want to go home. I want to go sit on my couch. I want to hang out with my kids. I want to hang out with my wife. So I want to do that and do nothing. I want to have my AirPods in at the same time, and my wife can't stand that. But I want to be around them. <laughs> that's, that's a safe haven to me. I enjoy my kids and my wife's company. I, 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 in fact, if I'm, having, if I'm really exhausted, I will crave just being at home. And I say that to say that we should crave the voice of the Holy Spirit. We should seek nothing more than to hear his voice and to have his guidance and his comfort and his power moving in our lives. That is the one thing you should be passionate about before you get excited about anything else. We have to follow the voice of the Holy Spirit. We have to recognize our need for the Holy Spirit in our lives. Pleasing God and not man, though, I do want to say this. Uh, it, it's not permission to be a jerk. 
It's not permission to throw caution to the wind and freely express all of my opinions in public that are going to cause someone to view a Christian in a bad light. It's not freedom to, well, this is who I am. That is the sorriest excuse I've ever heard. You're a human being. Change. Grow. Stop doing those things. It's not permission to not be a Christian anymore. We are called into extreme accountability as believers. I want to challenge you with that, to, to focus solely on what honors God. Now, the more I honor God, the closer I get to Jesus, the more the world's going to hate that. But there's a difference in persecution and ju- justified whenever I'm, a, if I'm a jerk on Facebook, I earned it. I, I don't get to paint the gospel in a bad light because of my own opinions, because I'm trying to please God and not man. Number two, we follow God regardless of the cost Salvation is the only free gift you're ever going to receive that is still going to cost you everything. Salvation costs you your whole life, your time, your resources, your wants, your desires. But here's the catch. The word says that my righteousness is as filthy rags and that when I get saved, I receive the righteousness of Christ. What we have to offer is nothing compared to what God has for you. That means God's gonna take my sin. He's gonna take my personality defects. He's gonna take my character flaws. He's gonna take all the mistakes I make and some of the good I do and exchange it for all that he has. And I wanna tell you today, there is nothing you have that is worth holding on to over receiving salvation. There is nothing you have that is worth sacrificing the Holy Spirit moving and speaking inside of you. There is nothing you have that is worth that. It's going to cost you everything, but ultimately we don't have anything in the first place. Uh, my, me and my wife were newly married. We were living in Texas and we had gone up to visit my grandfather, uh, my papa, and my, my grandmother had recently passed away. So we went and hung out with Papa for a day, and, and uh, Abby had, her, had a nose piercing, which Papa did not like. And uh, so he said, hey, I'm, I'm going to make a deal with you, uh, but you have to agree to it before you know what it is. And I'm thinking, like, well, that's a terrible deal. Uh, but, you know, it's my, it's my Papa. I'm sure it's something good. I was like, you know, just agree to it, whatever. And uh, so she did. Uh, he, he said, I'm going to give you something, but you have to give me your nose ring. She was like, well, I don't want to give you my nose ring. Uh, you know, she liked having that in her nose. And, uh, and so... Uh, finally, after, you know, 20 minutes of him convincing her, it's a good deal. You, 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 it's a good deal. You just have to accept it before you take it. Finally, she says, okay, fine. So she hands him this 30 cent nose ring from Claire's or whatever. And he put in her hand, one of my grandmother's rings. Now my grandmother was a very elegant woman and my grandfather was very well off. And this ring, uh, the diamond is like four times the size of the one I had given her like a, a month ago to get married. And I was like, thanks, Papa. Cool. Uh, but it was, it was so much more valuable beyond measure to what she had traded for it. And that is the story of salvation is, yes, you have to give up all you have, all you want, but what you're going to receive in the place of that, there's nothing worth that. That is priceless. Jesus gave his life for you to have that. We have to follow God regardless of the cross, the cost. A disciple understands that the cost is weighty, but gladly pays it. I will gladly give God all of my relationships I will gladly give God all of my finances. I will gladly give God any of my time that he wants and all of the talents he has given me. Ultimately, as a disciple, 
I'm going to be obedient in my tithe because God said so. I'm going to give him 10% of my increase, no matter what, whether I think I need it later for bills or not. That's his money first. Whether I think this is a person that's a good friend to me or not, if I have a check in my Holy Spirit about it, that's fine. I'm going to let God pick my friends for me. If, if, I have, if I don't have enough time in the day, I'm gonna make time for God first. The way you follow God, regardless of the cost, is giving him your first. We understand the cost. I understand it's gonna cost me everything, but I understand how valuable that is and I'm not willing to sacrifice the love and the salvation of Jesus for my worldly time, treasures, and talents. Number three, When you move from believer to disciple, your life becomes extraordinary. John 10, 10 says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they they may have life and they may have it abundantly. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit is living inside of you. The power of an almighty God is moving in you and you start to see things differently. Your circumstances though may actually get worse. A lot of times when I'm talking to a new believer, the situation that drove them to God is actually progressing in the wrong direction. They just understand the weight of Jesus. Your circumstances may actually get worse, but you have a new eternal perspective. I'm trading in my sight of what I see now for vision of what's going to happen later. I have, I have sight of what's going on in front of me, of the bad things or the good things that happen, but I have vision because I have an eternal perspective and I understand how those things are going to play into the, how they're gonna factor in five minutes after I die. I understand that every single thing I do, every single thing I hear, every single thing I say, all matters. And when I stand at the feet of Jesus, is what I'm doing right now gonna actually matter when I stand at God's feet and I give an account for my life? Is it gonna matter when I look uh, almighty God in the eye and have to say, God, here's what I did with the time, talent, and resources you gave me. Is this gonna matter? Is me getting mad on Facebook gonna matter? Is me getting upset over who won an election gonna matter? Is me getting frustrated in a traffic jam gonna matter? Not in the slightest. You might actually be ashamed of it. We have to look at life through the lens of scripture and have an eternal perspective because when we do that, our purpose is clear. Glorify God. And when that is our lens, our purpose and our mission, we see things differently. Life becomes extraordinary. It's like that little toy, a kaleidoscope that you can look through it. And I can see everyone in here, but there's a thousand of you and there's a hundred different colors and it's vibrant. This lens will change how you see everything because it's an eternal perspective. Life becomes extraordinary. Number four, life is void of a comfort zone. Listen, I'm comfortable with confrontation. In fact, my wife normally has to tell me when I've really messed up after the fact because I'm comfortable with confrontation. So I have no problem getting in an argument or a debate or whatever. No problem, it's fine, because I know as soon as it's over, I'm over it, I'm, I'm past it, we can still be friends. My wife has informed me over our seven years of fantastic marriage that everyone's not like that, and I might be over it, but they're not. So I have messed up so many of our relationships, I'm so sorry, uh, in thinking that everyone doesn't have a comfort zone like me. I have a comfort zone, but ultimately living a life of passion that's passionately committed to Jesus means my life is void of a comfort zone. I am not entitled to be comfortable. I am not entitled to walk around offended. I am not entitled 
to a comfort zone. I have to lay my life on an altar of sacrifice for whatever the Lord wants to use it to further the kingdom of God. I'm not entitled to my comfort zone. Why are people so passionate about coronavirus, about wearing masks, not wearing masks, get the vaccine, don't get the vaccine? Because whatever you believe about it, whether you believe it's fake or it's not, everyone believes this is a matter we are discussing of life and death. And the gospel is life or death. True worshipers are going to understand that the gospel is the most important thing, that I might lose my life on this earth. In fact, I will. There's a 100% death rate in America. One day, you and I are all going to see Jesus. We will die. Death is certain. But what's going to matter five minutes after you die? What's going to matter in that moment? Did you live a life that honored God? Do I understand the gospel is life or death? Because if I really understood that, I wouldn't be okay when I see people walking away from God. I wouldn't be okay when I see people living a lifestyle that is not going to push them closer to Jesus. I wouldn't be okay and dismiss another man's sin to make him feel comfortable in my presence. I don't need him to feel comfortable in my presence. I need him to feel convicted in the presence of God and drawn close to a savior that they desperately need. I'm not gonna dismiss someone else's sin. It's okay to be confrontational in a loving and kind, gentle way. Pastor Anthony's gonna talk to you about gentleness. I don't know why Pastor didn't choose me for that, Uh, but Pastor Anthony's gonna talk to you about gentleness in just a few weeks, but uh, ultimately, it is my job to get people to Jesus. Sometimes that means I'm gonna look like a fool. I'm gonna be uncomfortable, and that's okay. I'm not telling you go downtown and be one of these street preachers yelling at everyone, hollering, you're all going to hell. Uh, But ultimately, if I have a relationship with you, I'm okay with being uncomfortable and having hard conversations if it means we both get closer to Jesus through it. That's a good thing. My life is void of a comfort zone. Uh, I, I'm trying to remember what, what, what um, university it was, but this, some university did a study years ago, and they actually um, checked the brain waves of people that were worshiping. worshiping our God. And they found that when the human body is truly in a state of worship, the part of the brain that contains self-awareness, hunger, desire, will, it actually shrinks and can go to sleep when a human is truly worshiping. My life is void of a comfort zone, not because we have to be uncomfortable and weird and confrontational all the time. My life is void of a comfort zone because I'm not focused on me. When I was a little kid, and if I would get hurt, my dad would always say, quit crying, you're not hurt. And I would say, yeah, I am. I mean, my toes bleed, and he would just say, don't think about it. (laughs) Okay, it's fixed. No. (laughs) But ultimately, don't think about it. I'm not thinking about me. I'm not worried about me. I am a tool in the hand of an almighty God. He'll protect me. He'll provide for me. That's fine. Ultimately, I'm worried about giving him glory. I'm not worried about my comfort zone because we don't have one. It's not that you have to be uncomfortable. We don't have a comfort zone. We have a spot where we're focusing on giving God glory with every single thing we do. Number five, I'll wrap this up. Stay with me. Number five, the difference in a believer and a disciple is the devotion to the kingdom is my priority. I want nothing more than to see the kingdom of God grow. True devotion to the kingdom is gonna change every single factor of your life. How you go to work, how you treat your spouse, how you raise your kids, how you do your school homework, how you behave in public. Every single thing about your life will change when you focus on being devoted to the kingdom. You're gonna study your scripture. 
not just read it. You're going to study it. You're going you're to sit down and begin to realize that these are not just words. These are feeding my soul. When I was, when I was little, I remember, uh, there, I don't remember what movie it was, but I had watched a movie and thought it was funny. And my dad came home from work one day and said, hey, you want to watch a movie? I was like, sure. I was like, hey, have you seen this? He said, no. I was like, turn that on. So he turns on this movie and uh, lo and behold, a few minutes in, I realized it was not the wholesome movie I had watched before. Uh, it was, it was the same film, uh, but my dad was sitting there. So all of a sudden I saw every cuss word. I saw every innuendo. I saw every single thing in this movie that was not holy because my dad was sitting there now. When I study scripture, I'm not just gonna read it. I'm gonna study it because I've got a father sitting next to me that sees everything, sees all of my hurt, all of my pain, all of my sin, all the things I've swept under a rug, all the things I've said out loud, sees everything about me and loves me anyways and just wants me to truly find his heart in this book. I'm not just gonna read this book. I'm gonna study it. I'm gonna eat. I'm gonna feast. Devotion to the kingdom means that prayer is an open, endless dialogue. That means I'm not just gonna pray at meals and funerals. I'm gonna stay in the garden. Before Jesus was crucified, we find him in the garden of Gethsemane and he's, he's got his disciples keeping watch because he knows he's about to be betrayed. And we see one of the most intimate moments between the son of man and our heavenly father. And that, that moment, I believe, was sustaining to Jesus. He was modeling for us, truly relying on our Heavenly Father in prayer. Now, now, being in the garden doesn't mean that everything's always roses and daisies. In the garden, in moments of deep prayer, Jesus sweat blood. He was so stressed out. There's moments of turmoil. There's moments of pain and suffering. There's moments that hurt, but he sweat his blood. And when you're in the garden, don't go sit down and say, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Stop baptizing your prayers. God sees your anger, sees your frustration. He sees how much you do or don't want to do whatever you're doing right now. He sees it. Be real with God. Pour yourself out. Tell God how terrible your day was. He already knows. Tell God how mad you are. He already knows. Pour yourself out. Tell God what you want, your deepest, darkest desires, your secrets. Tell him. God sees it and he knows. Pour yourself out. And I found the more, if I'm in a moment of prayer, the more I pour myself out and empty myself of me, is more I can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus was betrayed in the garden. Just because I'm walking with the Lord, because I'm in prayer all the time, doesn't mean bad things aren't going to happen to me. The closer I get to God, the more I look like Jesus, the more the evil that is in this world is going to come against me. In the book of Genesis, there in the garden, man betrays God. We sinned. We ate the forbidden fruit. And in the, in the garden, we see in the gospels, God reconciles man in that moment. That was the beginning of, of events that saved our souls, quite literally. Don't leave the garden. Stay in a moment of prayer. Stay listening to that still small voice inside of you. 
don't let your ears be full of, of noise from this world. So I, I joked earlier, my wife got me AirPods for Christmas. I love these things so much. I can listen to music. I can listen to podcasts. I can, I can whatever, hands-free. Talk on the phone, hands-free. She can't stand it because I'll be on the phone and I'll come home from work and I've got my AirPods and I'm talking on the phone. She'll think I'm talking to her. In fact, when I walk in now, she just asks me, are you on the phone? Because I've got my AirPods in. Now, I can't hear much of what's going on around me except my AirPods. I've got, I've got some ambient noise, but ultimately it's all being filtered through my AirPods. When I was a little kid, if I, if I didn't want to hear what was going on around me, if there was bad words or we were in an argument, whatever, I'd put my fingers in my ear and go, la, 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 la. I didn't want to hear what was going on around me, so I, I covered my ears. Now as an adult, I see a lot of adults, you don't want to hear what's going on around you, so we cover our ears. We fill them with noise. We fill them with something. When I have my AirPods in and I'm on the phone, I'm talking to somebody that though they're not present in the room, they can hear everything happening. They can know everything that's happening, even though you don't know they're there. They can hear me. They know what's going on. In fact, I can't hear other things as well right now because my ears are occupied. And we need to be so intently listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit that we do not hear all of the evil that is stirring around us. We need to be so in tune with what's happening in the spiritual realm that we don't hear what's happening around us. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We have to be passionately committed to Jesus Christ. Stay in the garden. Stay in a moment of prayer. Worship. Pour yourself out. Worship is an overflow of gratitude and surrender. I can't help but raise my hands. I can't help but sing at the top of my lungs. That's why I sit on the front row so you don't have to have me in your ear behind you. When I fully devote myself to the kingdom of God, I'm gonna recognize that community is an essential property in my life. God did not design you for life alone. In the New Testament, in the book of Acts, the church was breaking bread together daily. Praise God, I would love some bread right now. We're on day two of this fast full devotion to the kingdom of God lets me know and have confidence that putting God first is going to satisfy all of my needs. Matthew 6, says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, he's talking about clothes, shelter, food, all these things will be added to you. If I seek Jesus, if I am truly listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit and staying in tune with him and letting him make my decisions for me, I'm gonna be walking in the will and the blessings of God and there is nothing worth that. There is nothing worth sacrificing the voice of God in your life. Seek first the kingdom. Recognize that I am property of Jesus Christ. He paid for me. I belong to him. We have to stop putting God 
as a compartmentalized part of our life. Uh, I woke up in the morning, I did my devotion, and then I went to work. I woke up in the morning, I did my devotion, and then I started cleaning my house and taking care of my kids. I woke up in the morning and I did my devotion, and then I went to the gym and continued my day. We have to stay in the garden. We have to take the Holy Spirit with us everywhere we go. God is not on the top of the list. He's the list. Nothing else matters. That is the lens that we see everything through. Being passionately committed to Jesus means total surrender, not just giving him the things that are not important to us. We're going to respond today in three different ways. First, we have a swimming pool at the front of our church. Today, we're going to have baptisms. Baptism is a celebration of life change. It's where we celebrate that God has made us new. It doesn't mean you're saved. Salvation is a prerequisite to baptism. Water baptism is an outward expression of a spiritual transformation and it stands forever as a monument of celebration for every follower of Jesus. When you're baptized in water, you identify yourself with Jesus. Family and friends are encouraged to attend and celebrate this significant decision. If you're a Christian and you've never been water baptized, we wanna invite you today to join us. Baptism is an appeal to the Holy Spirit for a clear conscience. It is a public symbol of your salvation, of being buried with Christ into his death and raised in his resurrection to walk in a new life. In just a minute when I pray, if you want to get baptized today, it's not too late. We've got a change of clothes for you that you can change into before you get baptized. We've got hair dryer, whatever else you need to put yourself back together again today. We have everything you need. We've got towels. We've got it all. In just a minute when I pray, if you will come to uh, this, this door right over here, we will have someone there to meet you to uh, walk you to where you, uh, your appropriate dressing room to get changed for baptism today. I wanna challenge you today. If you've never been baptized, today is your day. Don't wait. Make that public declaration. If you're, you know, my, my mom's not here. My grandma's not here to see that. That's okay. We've got it on video. You can send it to them. Just get, let's get baptized today. Make that public declaration. The second way we're gonna respond today is in worship. Many people in this room, you, you need to truly reignite that fire that was inside of you. You need the Holy Spirit to begin to burn again, all the garbage, whatever. You need to get excited about the kingdom of God again, and that's okay. We need to reignite that passion. And the third way, I, I, I wanna ask every head to bow and every eye to close. If you're in this room today, Wherever you're sitting, if you're up in the back row of the balcony, down here on the front row, wherever, and you say, Pastor Dylan, I, I don't know this Jesus you speak of. I know about him, but I don't know him. And you want to make a decision right now to turn on your will and your desires. You've counted the cost. You understand it's going to cost you everything, but you're choosing to follow Jesus. I'm not going to ask you to come down front, but would you just raise your hand up right there in your seat if you're making that decision right now? Thank you. You can put your hand down. Awesome. We're going to pray a prayer. 
And whether you just, you just decided in this moment to follow Jesus or you've been saved for 30 years and you need to reignite that fire, that passion. I want you to, to just be still and listen for the voice of God. I'm gonna pray and I want you to listen. Father, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit will begin to minister. God, speak to these people. To the gentleman that raised his hand, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit will begin to work in him right now, God. God, I pray for, for the people here that you have in your hand. God, I pray that you would light a new passion, a new fire in us. God, that your Holy Spirit would begin to do a new work, that you would pour out a fresh anointing. God, that we would be empty of ourselves. God, I pray right now that you would send fire from heaven. God, that we would be passionately committed to you, totally surrendered. God, we love you so, so much. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, would you-